Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-973-7425, if you want to be on the program. It's amazing how short-term the memory is of uh, a lot of people who cover politics in the press. There's an article in Politico today. It comes as there's there's uh, a number of polls that show DeSantis and Trump's tied for Republican support. One, though, has uh, Trump up like 45 percent, DeSantis at 28 percent. Fox News has highlighted that one. There's the uh, WPA intelligence poll that has DeSantis at 45 and Trump below that. They're bouncing all around. The early states are really what matters in, in the grassroots stuff, but Uh, David Siders and Meredith McGraw have this story in Politico. The question, just how big is the always Trump component of the Republican Party? Despite his difficulties since he left office, about a third of Republicans and Republican-leaning voters still consider themselves supporters more of Trump than the Republican Party, according to an NBC News poll. Many of them aren't going anywhere. Fully 28% of Republican primary voters are so devoted to the former president that they said they'd support him even if he ran as an independent. Indeed, the always Trump component of the party is so pronounced that it's affecting how Trump's opponents operate around him. All these folks are just hoping that Trump's going to have a heart attack on a golf course one day. And that's going to solve the problem, says Fergus Cullen, a former New Hampshire Republican Party chair. It's hard to fault them. Republican campaigns have calculated that they can't afford to offend an entire swath of the GOP electorate still sympathetic to Trump. Instead, they've chosen to chip away at them through non-aggressive means. A person close to Trump said the ex-president and his campaign do not take uh, their core base of supporters for granted. He ran on a platform of the forgotten man and woman in America. They've been with him since he announced they're going to be with him. They won't leave him. Trump, for his part, is actively weaponizing his hold on the party. While Rona McDaniel, chair of the RNC, said Sunday participants in the first primary had to sign a pledge to support the eventual nominee, Trump balked at the idea, saying it depend on the nominee. Even if Trump did sign the pledge, Republicans know there'd be no holding him to it. There's one reason few Republicans are going after Trump directly, even if Mike Pence, Trump's former vice president, insists we'll have a better choice. What they're so afraid of is him being out of the tent, shooting in, said Sarah Longwell, the Republican political strategist and bulwark publisher who became a vocal supporter of Biden's in 2020. The threat is all the more puzzling why people aren't taking him on early, trying to chip away at the always Trump. It may be impossible. How much Trump will benefit from an expected large primary field has been a source of intensifying debate. You know what? I think this gets it a little wrong. And and, uh, these are fine reporters, but I think they get it somewhat wrong. Uh, they miss an important detail. And in missing that important detail, I I think it uh, largely 
um, largely prevents us from getting a clear view of what's going to happen moving forward. The number, by the way, the number is 21. You see, the polling shows that about 28 to 30 percent, 28 to 30 percent of the base of the GOP is is always and forever Donald Trump and whatever Donald Trump says. I think the number you actually have to look at is 21.8. And the strategy you have to look at is 73.7. You're like, Erickson? What the hell are you talking about? Well... 21.8. Really, we should probably go with with, uh, 25.2. That's the the percentage of the vote that went to the anti-Brian Kemp faction. 25. 25 25.2. David Perdue got 21.8%. Point eight percent. Candace Taylor, three point four percent. And actually, if we wanted, if we want to do it precisely, David Perdue got twenty one point eight percent. Candace Taylor got three point four percent. Catherine Davis got eight tenths of a percent. Somebody named Tom Williams got uh, three tenths of a percent. So that's twenty six point three percent. 26.3%. Brian Kemp won with 73.7% of the vote. Brian Kemp won with 73.7% of the vote. Interestingly enough, interestingly enough, if you look at this, if, if you look at the, the 26.3%, that's very close. That That's even closer than what I originally went with. If 28% of the Republican base nationwide is always and forever Donald Trump and no one else, and you got 26.3% in Georgia, which is pretty overall indicative of the nation. Georgia as a microcosm of the nation is pretty relevant in the urban rural, the black, white, the suburban, uh, the, the, the moderate Republicans, the centrist Republicans, the mainstream Republicans, the establishment Republicans, the Trump Republicans, they're all kind of represented there. And I don't think it's a coincidence you get 26.3%, which is very close to the nationwide poll after poll after poll shows there's 28% that will always and forever go for Donald Trump. I don't think it's a coincidence that when you add up all of the non-Trump vote, progressively more fringe and hardcore towards Donald Trump, it comes very close in Georgia to being that 28%. It was 26.3%. But Brian Kemp still got 73.7% of the vote. And what did he do? This is the thing that stands out to me. All There's so much in the media narrative so much in the media narrative about, well, they don't want to attack Trump. They don't want to alienate his voters. They're afraid Donald Trump will fire at him. No, 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 no. They're using the Brian Kemp strategy. Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, is the guy who figured out how to navigate this. And when you look at what's happening Ron DeSantis is using Brian Kemp's strategy. It's not that he's fighting back against Donald Trump. It's that he doesn't have to. 
What Brian Kemp did in Georgia when Donald Trump attacked him repeatedly is would just say, well, I'm not focused on that. I'm focused on all these good things. Or look, I, I think President Trump did this right, but praised him when he needed to. And otherwise says, I'm not really, I'm not really focused on this. I'm focused on that. And, and talked about what he wanted to talk about. He was respectful of the former president. Did not throw a punch at the former president. And he still lost 26.3% of the hardcore always Trumpers in the primary, but consolidated everyone else and still won the general election against Stacey Abrams. And a lot of those people did not stay home. A lot of those people, they didn't vote protest Libertarian Party or anything like that. They went and they voted for Brian Kemp against Stacey Abrams. The dynamics will not be exactly the same, but here's the thing a lot of people forget. If Donald Trump gets a single vote in a Republican primary as a candidate on the ballot, not as a write-in, but as a declared candidate, if Donald Trump shows up on the primary ballot for the GOP at all in 2024, more than a third of the states would preclude him more than half the states, actually, it's like 33 or 34 percent or 33 or 34 states would preclude him from running as a third party under sore loser laws. You see, in a lot of states, they have this thing called a sore loser law that if you try for the Republican primary or the Democratic primary and lose, you can't then run as a third party. All these people say, well, Donald Trump, he could run as a third party candidate. Not if he started in the GOP. If Donald Trump appears on the ballot as a Republican candidate and doesn't get a vote, the sore loser laws are triggered. If he doesn't get the nomination, sore loser laws are triggered. He can't then run as a third party in November. What the Republican candidates are trying to do is not trigger his voters into absolute anger against them. Brian Kemp was the textbook there. You have all these people um, who you need to understand, like Sarah Longwell and the Bulwark folks, they want a fight. They want DeSantis and Trump to beat the hell out of each other to help Joe Biden. They want Joe Biden reelected. And so they're out there. I saw the Lincoln Project guys. Oh, Ron DeSantis, he's not really going to run. He's not going to CPAC. He's scared of Donald Trump. He's not going to run. They're trying to egg him on. They're trying to pick a fight. They're not going to succeed. It's a very juvenile thing they're doing. They're, they're, I mean, they're wish casting. Please fight. Please fight. Please punch back. And you know what's going to happen. The, the national media is going to amplify this when Donald Trump attacks Ron DeSantis. You say, I listen to this Donald Trump attack. And DeSantis has said nothing in response. DeSantis isn't saying anything in response right now. He's being the governor of Florida. And it's going to work. It worked for Brian Kemp. 26.3% of the vote went against Brian Kemp in the Republican primary in 2022. David Perdue only got 218 of it. Candace Taylor, who was just an extreme fringe of the GOP, got 3.4%. She's the diehards. She's the the we will vote third party. We will never vote for Brian Kemp. Uh, there was one person who voted wrote it in Ron DeSantis in the general election, refused to vote for Brian Kemp, and now that woman is attacking Ron DeSantis as not sufficiently MAGA because she's a nutter herself. 
and it didn't matter. And I don't think it's going to matter then. And I just, I want you to remember what's happening here. I want you to think about this when you hear the media say, we just don't understand why he's not attacking back on Donald Trump. Because the theory in 2016 was you had to punch back. You had to punch back. You had to punch back. And now we know you don't. Donald Trump is now a known commodity. He has been president of the United States. And there are a lot of Republicans who loved him, voted for him twice, and are ready to move on. And all you have to do as a Republican candidate is is not get in the gutter with Donald Trump. Just say, I'm not focused on his attack. He can say whatever he wants to say. I'm focused on winning. I'm focused on the economy. I'm focused on crime. Donald Trump is focused on me, but I'm focused on the American people. Some of his base you're never going to get. Frankly, I think some of those people need to go away. I, I, they, they've been traumatized in American politics and they're angry and in their anger they are they're they're acting emotionally they're they've bought into a cult of personality and when Trump fades away they probably will go away and I actually think it's a good thing for them and their soul they need to 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 they need to decompress for everyone else though don't don't forget this I think it's it's, it's deeply relevant here that what you're seeing on the campaign trail from Ron DeSantis, from Mike Pence, from Nikki Haley already, uh, from other candidates out there, it's not that they're avoiding Donald Trump. It's not that they are ignoring Donald Trump. It's that there is a strategy, a very successful strategy of how to deal with Donald Trump's attacks. And that strategy comes from Brian Kemp, who deployed it very successfully in Georgia in 2022 against a well-funded Trump-backed primary challenge. And his strategy was to praise the president where it was proper and otherwise say, I'm not paying attention to his attacks. I'm paying attention to the needs of the voters. And the Trump voters appreciated that he wasn't piling on Trump. And many of them showed up at the polls of the general election and helped him beat Stacey Abrams. It doesn't sound to me like Ron DeSantis is trying to avoid a fight with Donald Trump. It sounds to me like he's fighting the way Brian Kemp fought And what worked for Kemp will probably work for DeSantis. And all the reporters either forgot it or they don't care to learn it because they are really savoring a fight that's probably not going to come. And by that fight not coming is probably going to help the GOP. A lot of these people have a vested interest in wanting the fight because they think it helps Joe Biden. And watch them hysterically cry when the fight they want doesn't come the way they want it. And the Republicans get elected in 2024. So my kid has a queen size bed. We've got a king size bed. We got him bull and branch sheets and he's used them. He had like kid sheets and now he's old enough. He doesn't want the, the action figure sheets anymore. Well, we got lost because I mean, the sheets look like our sheets, except they're queen size sheets and they got put in our closet and the kid was in despair. We got him bowl and branch sheets. They've gotten softer and softer. And he's like, where are my real sheets? He refused to sleep until we found the real sheets because they're that soft. They're that good. They're made with a 100% organic cotton thread. They get softer in every wash. You can stay cozy all winter long with a set of bowl and branch sheets. They really are that good. We have them on multiple beds in our house. My goodness, my seriously, my kid, uh, he's finally like, my sheets are for kids. I'm I'm grown up now and... Uh, it's just a, a step of quality above what he had. And now he's like, can't sleep without these sheets. They're designed to feel incredible for all sleepers. They're made without toxins. They're free of pesticides, formaldehyde, 
other chemicals. They fit the deepest mattress too, which I love because we have a very thick mattress on our bed and it fits. It doesn't like bunch up and then snap off in the middle of the night when you roll over. You can get 15% off your forced order Bowling Branch sheets when you use promo code Eric at BowlingBranch.com. Exclusions apply. See site for details. That's Bowling Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D Branch.com. The promo code is Eric, E-R-I-C-K. The phone number here is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, uh, happy to have your calls. I will tell you that uh, DeSantis, I assume you have heard, has gotten rid of the Reedy Creek District. That was the special tax district for Disney. And in so doing, he has decided to um, take it over and say taxpayers aren't going to be on, uh, aren't going to be liable for Disney's debt under that district. It's a big win for him. And in addition to that, he's going to take so on. So good news is, is we've increased uh, teacher pay by over two billion. We did I, my brain fart there as a, as I cut out. It was teacher pay. It was, as I was say, he he is increasing in the in the budget more funding for teachers in the state so the good news is is we've increased uh teacher pay by over two billion we did focus a lot on recruiting new teachers by increasing the average minimum salary we've succeeded in that so we're going to do a billion dollar categorical in our budget uh and all of that increase uh can go however the school districts want it's got to go to teachers they can do all of that increase for right. veteran teachers if they want but I'll tell you, one of the things that we saw this year, there was massive money for teacher increases. Some of the school unions were holding it up, and we had six, nine months after the budget was signed, the teachers still didn't get a pay increase. So what we may do this year is put a time a limit to say, once we approve this in the budget, get it into the pockets of the teachers. So you're going to definitely see increased salaries right. and money for the school districts to raise teacher pay. Uh, again, again, I think DeSantis is doing all the culture war stuff, stuff here so he can pivot to stuff like this for general election voters. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Uh, those of you on the phones, you're going to have to be patient with me because I'm, it, I got one of those topics that I think I need to talk about, but it's also one of those topics. I don't want to talk about it. Those are always the most difficult topics, but also the necessary topics to talk about. We need to talk about Scott Adams. Scott Adams is, if you're not familiar with him, the cartoonist who does the Dilbert cartoon about uh, corporate environment, basically. And over the last several years, something has clearly been going on with Scott Adams. And his cartoon is now being canceled across the nation uh, major and minor newspapers across the country are killing the Dilbert cartoon. They're killing the Dilbert cartoon because Scott Adams um, went on a lengthy tirade about blacks in America. And it was based on a Rasmussen poll, and you should never base anything on a Rasmussen poll that uh, only a small majority of black Americans agreed with the statement, it's okay to be white. Adams 
in the course of his diatribe said that um, black Americans are a hate group and white people need to, in his words, get the hell away from them, that uh, white people should have nothing to do with black people in America anymore. Scott Adams has his defenders. There are a lot of people who do think that uh, there is a war on whiteness in this country. But the bottom line is, is Scott Adams uh, didn't say, go love your neighbor. Uh, He said, get the hell away from them. Have nothing to do with black people. This sounds like he wants to be. It has sounded to me for a while like Scott Adams wants to be martyred. He's trying to be canceled. I want to read for you the NPR story here because here's here's where you get some real left-wing bias that you actually need to process and understand. Cartoonists across the country are applauding editors and publishers for condemning Scott Adams, the creator of the comic strip Dilbert, after his recent tirade against black Americans. I'm proud and happy to see publishers, magazines, and newspapers are dropping him because there should be no tolerance for that kind of language, said Hillary Fitzgerald Campbell, a cartoonist for The New Yorker. It's a relief to see him held accountable, she added. Hundreds of newspapers including the Washington Post and the Los Angeles Times, announced they will no longer carry Adams' work. On Monday, Adams' distributor, Andrews McNeil McNeil Universal, said they are severing ties with the cartoonists because the company does not support any commentary rooted in discrimination or hate. The Penguin Random House imprint portfolio also will no longer publish Adams' upcoming book, Reframe Your Brain, which was set to be released in September. The fallout was sparked by a YouTube live stream posted February 22nd where Adams referenced a Rasmussen poll that found only a slim majority of black Americans agree with the statement, it's okay to be white. Adams went on to accuse black Americans of being a hate group and advise white people to get the hell away from them. Now listen, this is the paragraph that caught my eye. Cartoonists say, and you should know there are a lot of very progressive cartoonists out there. Cartoonists say Adams had a long history of spewing problematic views. In the past, Adams had inaccurately described people who are not vaccinated against COVID as the real winners of the pandemic. He also questioned the accuracy of the Holocaust death toll. Another of Adams's claims is that he had lost multiple job opportunities for being white. What I would call your attention to is the fact that he was not punished for any of those things. Adams was not punished for saying people who aren't vaccinated are the real COVID winners. He has not been punished for any of the stuff he has said about the COVID vaccine. He has not been punished for Trump boosterism. He has not been punished for questioning the death toll from the Holocaust. He has not been punished for saying he lost jobs because he was white. He was not punished for any of those things the left wanted him punished for. It's really damn hard for me to say he's being canceled when he wasn't fired or punished for any of those remarks, what he's being fired for, canceled, unsubscribed from now is saying black people are a hate group and white people should get the hell away from them. I would fire him too for saying that. You're part of the problem, not part of the solution when you decide to 
hate black people because of a Rasmussen poll that may or may not accurately reflect them. I mean, my gosh, the number of times I talk about polling on this program and people say, how can you cite polling? Don't you know how unreliable it is? Scott Adams has questioned the reliability of polling and he's going to use a Rasmussen poll, not exactly a reliable pollster to go on the warpath against black Americans in this country. We got enough hate and division in this country already for this guy to be out there telling white people to get the hell away from black people. We actually need to get closer to each other. I have a sneaking suspicion he wanted to be martyred. I have had this suspicion for a while. He he got very explicitly pro-Trump. And nobody did anything, and he just kept pushing the boundaries. He kept pushing and pushing and pushing to see what will be done to get me in trouble. And after all the Trump boosterism that he did, and and it didn't run him afoul, even though the cartoonist society of America is super liberal. And then he went into COVID denialism. It's not a big deal that you shouldn't get vaccinated. Vaccine denialism, all these things. And he pushed all those boundaries that were getting other people canceled, other people other people punished, other people banned, other people fired, other people blocked from Twitter. Scott Adams was pushing all of those boundaries constantly. And nobody came for Scott Adams. And so finally he decided up. Uh, I'm going to slam my hand down on the race button and say black people are a hate group and white people should get the hell away from it. Eh, 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 eh. Finally, the alarm goes off and Scott Adams is canceled. I was like, oh, my God, they've canceled me. Oh, woe is me. That No, dude, you've been trying to get canceled for years unsuccessfully. You wanted to martyr yourself. You chose to to martyr yourself. You're not canceled. And I'm sorry. How old is this guy? How old is Scott Adams? Scott Adams is 65 years old. 65 years old. You do not have to be a rocket scientist in America. You do not have to be a Mensa candidate in America to know that you don't call a racial group in this country a hate group and tell others to get the hell away from them. I I, I have a theory. My theory is that when I see people act out like this online, there's something going on offline. There is something really going on in their private lives that is causing them to act outlandishly online. I, I... a couple of people come to mind who they're constantly, their online persona is they lack grace. They're hostile to people who should otherwise be their friends. They say increasingly outlandish things for attention and clicks and retweets. And and I just, in each of these cases, I, I, I suspect there's something going on at home. And I suspect there is with him as well to say these sorts of things. Now, a friend of mine 
said, you know, there was something that shouldn't get lost in all of his commentary here, and, and he's afraid that it will, and, and I agree with him, but I think you have to dis- differentiate the two. And, and that is uh, the situation in this country, and frankly, a lot of non-white urban areas in this country, that is something we have to address. That is uh, failing schools, collapsing families, crime, drugs, all those things. And the problem here is that is Scott Adams' comments make it more difficult to address those things. He's actually encouraging white people to have nothing to do with black people and calling black people a hate group. No, they're your fellow Americans. And there are problems in white communities as well. We don't talk about the Appalachian area much. We don't, we don't talk about the collapse in, in society there, the single-parent households there, the, the drugs and crime there, the gang violence there, and it's all among white people. Uh, there, are, there are common things there, the crack-up of the American household, the crack-up of the nuclear family, the collapse in public schooling, the collapse in, in society around people, the collapse of communities, uh, the, the, the downsizing and descaling of the American industrial workforce. We took a lot of people out of jobs where they made a good living and essentially bankrupted them because we wanted cheaper washing machines from Mexico. And it's had societal fallout. I think NAFTA and globalization and, and the free market is good. I think the people who sold us those things did a terrible job of foreseeing or working around the logical fallout of what would happen to the industrial workforce of America. And a lot of these people, they lost their jobs when their factories shut down and the policymakers told them, well, it's a good thing. It's good. The washing machines that you can no longer afford to buy are cheap for the rest of us. And we never, we never dealt with that. And we should have. There are societal ramifications to the social welfare state becoming so big in the 1960s. It, it rendered the need for dads almost meaningless. It incentivized a lot of single-parent households with moms raising kids and, and relying on Uncle Sam. It had spillover disproportionately into ethnic and racial groups beyond the white community where the ramifications are still terrible. I mean, we, we see time and time again the data shows us that a kids raised in a two-parent household, regardless of race, outperform every other group of kids. And we have disincentivized that. And we took a lot of jobs and education opportunities away, in, particularly in black communities in the inner city, in the United States, in the 60s, in 70s, a lot of it because of racism at the time. And there were nowhere for young men to get jobs. And they had no fathers around. And they turned to gangs for camaraderie, relationship, father figures. And a lot of them went to prison. There are problems here, a lot of it because of government policy. And we should have those conversations and we shouldn't shy away from those conversations. And a lot of people scream racism when you have those conversations. But those are completely separate from what Scott Adams did. Scott Adams said something very racist. And just because we oppose cancel culture, just because we we are alarmed at corporations and Americans, uh, progressives being hypersensitive to and wanting to shut people up for pretty routine, innocuous views, I just have to point out again, Scott Adams made it through all the Trump boosterism. He made it through all the COVID denialism. He made it through all the anti-vaccine rants. He made it through questioning the death toll of the Holocaust. He made it through all of those things. 
It's really hard for me to say he was canceled now. It really sounds like he wanted to be martyred. It really sounds to me like something is going on in his private life that we don't see online and that has affected him in ways that allowed him to be emboldened to do something or desire to do something outlandish that has ruined his cartoon career. But y'all, this is 2023. I'm in my 40s. He is 65 years old. You don't have to be a Mensa candidate, a college graduate, a rocket scientist, or anyone very smart to know when you start saying a race of Americans are a hate group and uh, your racial group should stay away from them and have nothing to do with them, uh, you don't have to be a very bright person to understand there will be consequences for that and frankly, deservedly so, consequences for that. I'm concerned about the mental wellness of this guy and his self-immolation. But it doesn't concern me at all that publishers have given him many passes for many things for which other people did get canceled and they shouldn't have. He didn't get canceled for any of those things. He got canceled when he decided to sound like a racist online, and it wasn't sounding like a racist. It was being a racist. And there are consequences when you're a racist in America. And I just really do have to think that there's something going on behind the scenes that has manifested itself in his outlandish conduct online. And maybe one day we will figure out what those things are. And until then, probably need to keep that dude in your prayers. Now, I need to keep the spotlight on Advantage Gold because a lot of you have questions about using gold and precious metals for your retirement portfolio. If you reach out to them at 800-450-2566, They might be able to help you. They might be able to answer your questions. In fact, they're going to do a pretty good job of answering your questions because they got one of the best research and education teams out there to handle questions about precious metals. 800-450-2566 is their number. Whether you want to use uh, gold in your 401k, your IRA, or just your general investment strategies uh, with the stock market the way it is and inflation the way it is and the global economy and the global turmoil the way it is, They can probably help you, and they'll give you a free gold IRA investment kit that helps you. But just give them a call. Let them answer your questions if you have any. They are TrustLink's number one highest-rated gold company seven years in a row with the best prices, the best staff, and the best IRA department in the gold medal business for investing. 800-450-2566. Tell them I sent you. That's 800-450-2566. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan, wherever you are nationwide, they can help your business grow. If your business is trying to get uh, funding, $750,000 or more, reach out to First Liberty and see if they can help you, firstlibertyga.com. Those of you on the phones, we got several people on the phones, Adam, Paul, and others, just stand by, please. I want to take your phone calls when I come back. I've only got a minute here, and that would be an injustice to you, so... Please stand by, and I will. I will come back to you. I I, I need to note something. I, I'm going to be on CNN tonight on Aaron Burnett show in the seven o'clock hour to talk about the DeSantis uh, growing presidential campaign. But also, they asked me to. They may want to talk to me about the Fox News stuff. Um, it it is becoming clear in the depositions and documents that have been reached that. The people at Fox News did not believe the 2020 election was stolen. They didn't believe the Dominion voter stuff. They they didn't believe 
a lot of the things and claims that were made on air. And they were just scared of losing the audience to Newsmax. And so they said stuff and advanced theories of things on air that behind the scenes they didn't believe. Bill Sammons, who was the Washington bureau chief, is actually pushed out because of the election fallout, uh, wrote to Chris Steyerwalt, who made the call to go on and call Arizona, which turned out to be right, uh, that bad ratings make uh, good journalists or poor ratings make good journalists do bad things. And I got a, I, and I continue to get from people a lot of hell for my views on the election Trump and stuff. Uh, but uh, my philosophy has always been that I'm not a character on the radio and there are some people who get behind the microphone and they become a character. I think I need to be as transparent and real with you as possible, and that includes telling you exactly what I think about things and not lying to you because I'm afraid you're going to turn off the radio if you hear something you don't agree with. I don't think my job is to tell you what you want to hear. It's to tell you what I think is true, and I wish more in the media did that. I think we'd all be better off.